So over the time span of recorded history, many objects have, and natural resources have fallen in and out of favor. They've risen in value, and they've fallen in value because of demand or supply or quantity at any given time. Those things fluctuate quite a bit. And historically, there have been some major differences between the value of things compared to our present day. So some, at some times, things have been a lot more valuable or less valuable compared to what they are now. So I'm going to give you a couple examples of those. One such example is salt. All right, so salt is a pretty common place in our culture. I mean, we just have packets of it in the kitchen. We have it on every single table in every single restaurant. We even just dump it on our roads. I mean, it's not sodium chloride, but it's a salt. Although rock salt is table salt, just in bigger pieces. Anyway, so we, we just have salt everywhere. But that has not historically been the case. So let me just kind of give you a brief history of salt. So it's a major food preservative, right? You can, you can preserve food for a long period of time, which is important if you don't have refrigerators. And it makes things taste good, which a lot of people enjoy. And you need it to stay alive, which is probably the main purpose of it. And so salt was so valuable that Roman soldiers would actually receive their, sal- their uh, salari- salarium, sorry, salarium argentium, which is what they got paid for their military service. They got paid in salt for their military service. It was so valuable. That's actually where we get the word salary. Is from this practice of paying people with salt. So you can thank salt for your salaries. And to put this in perspective, in 301 AD, Diocletian, who was a Roman emperor, made a decree and put a max limit on how much people could charge for salt. I don't know if there's like a, a salt bubble or something you need to control. I don't know. So he put a maximum price on salt, and it was 16 kilograms for about 100 denarii. And a denarii uh, is equivalent to about... 25 denarii is equivalent to about a person's wage for a day. And 16 kilograms equals... uh, There'd be about 6,250 denarii for one ton of salt. So that's kind of how the equivalence works out. Which would mean that for an average worker, it would be about a year's salary for one ton of salt. Which... Seems kind of pricey considering that the one ton of salt you could buy right now for about 200 bucks. <laughs> the price has decreased substantially over the years. Another ancient luxury item was silk. Now, silk was, is still valuable today, but not like it was. It was literally worth its weight in gold. Like you could trade one pound of silk for one pound of gold back in antiquity, which means that it'd be roughly worth in today's money around 16000 dollars per pound and you can get about a pound of silk for about 80 dollars today saffron have you guys ever heard of saffron it's a spice which is outrageously expensive just buy peppercorn it's great it's way cheaper than saffron so saffron uh, in antiquity cost about ninety-five thousand dollars a pound which is just crazy i mean it's a lot of work to get the saffron granted which made it many more times valuable than gold per pound. Now today, some places you still can buy saffron for about $5,000 a pound. 
in some places, if you're in the right place at the right time, you can get it for $500 a pound. It's substantially cheaper than it was. Still really expensive for a spice, in my opinion. All right, so this last one I'm going to share with you kind of blows my mind, all right? Pineapples, okay? You may not believe it, but about 500 years ago, pineapples were the best fruit. Blessings. Pineapples, we have an ongoing dispute about which is better. Pineapple is better. Pineapple was so luxurious and so sought after in Europe because it could only be grown in specialty greenhouses. It wouldn't make the trip over on a boat. It would be rotten by the time it got there. And so they were so, so, so rare that people rented pineapples for their parties and just sat them in bowls and ornamentally displayed the pineapple that they rented to show their wealth. Just kind of crazy. And if you wanted to buy a pineapple out flat right, it would cost you eight grand in today's money. And I checked on Friday. The cost of Meyer at Meyer for a pineapple is two sixty nine, way cheaper than it used to be. If you wanted to spend eight grand on pineapples, you could buy two thousand nine hundred seventy three pineapples at this price for eight grand. You could probably even get more with a bulk discount. So the price and value of these resources have changed a lot, and there's a lot of examples of this throughout history. Even just a short time, like almost overnight, things can jump and raise in value. Over the last year, wood and construction materials have almost tripled in price. I mean, they're kind of on the way down a little bit now. But that's just one little item, and the wood's tripled in price in one year, which is kind of crazy. And things can drop equally as fast, depending on what's going on in the world and what's happening in a local area where it's produced or what's popular at the moment. And the world and what it values is extremely fickle. It it changes all the time. It's hard to know where it's going to be tomorrow. It's hard to know where it's going to be in a year. It's almost impossible to know what's going to happen any further out than that. It fluctuates so much. And this fluctuation isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it turns into a bad thing when we start to put our wealth, our identity, and our value in these worldly possessions. Because if our selves are invested in what we own, then as its value changes and fluctuates, so do we. Our value goes up and down. Our self-worth goes up and down. How we view ourselves and how people view us go up and down if we put ourselves in our possessions. You can see how that's a problem, right? Because we can't control that. It's unstable. It's not dependable. It changes literally every day. And the whims of culture can change something overnight. And natural events and what's happening politically in the world. We should not let the world and what's going on dictate who we are, our happiness, and our self-worth. That's not a good place to be. And we can just observe the world and we can see that fact. Like we can say, oh, this, this is not the right way to live. And if I can make that observation... God certainly knows that's the truth. He knows that it's not right for us to do that. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at at our last message, Lessons from Ezekiel series that we're doing here. We're going to look at what God says about possessions and wealth and their place in our lives. So if you would go ahead and turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 7. Remember, Ezekiel is a prophet who was sent to tell Israel the truth 
of God's message. And sometimes that message isn't great. Sometimes it's actually quite painful to hear. Especially for the Israelites in Ezekiel chapter 7. So we're going to start off right at the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, And you, son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, and end, the end is coming on the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger against you. I will judge you according to your ways, and bring all your abominations upon you. That does not sound like good news. That's, that sounds kind of rough. But God has been telling the Israelites for a really, really, really long time, hey, straighten up, or, or I'm going to have to punish you. Like, you, you got to get, like, repent, destroy your idols, or something bad is going to have to happen here. You just can't keep living this way. You can't keep breaking the covenant. And they don't listen. And this chapter says, God says, okay, it's finally time. It's finally time for, for this to kind of get ugly here. Look at verse 10. Behold the day. Behold, it is coming. Your doom has gone forth. The rod has budded. Arrogance has blossomed. Blossomed. Violence has grown into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain. None of their people, none of their wealth, nor anything imminent among them. The time has come, the day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn, for wrath is against all their multitude. Indeed, the seller will not regain what he has sold, as long as they both live. For the vision regarding all their multitude will not be averted, nor will any of them maintain his life by his iniquity. So God has been telling the Israelites, like I said, for a really long time, if you don't straighten up, something bad is going to happen. He said, now is the time. And remember, we're looking at how things fluctuate, how the price of things fluctuate in history, how the value of things change depending on what's going on. Usually what happens is when a historical event or something big politically happens, the value of one thing rises while the value of something else drops. One person gets really rich while another person gets really poor. That's, a lot of people profit off of war. Make some countries very poor, devastate some countries, but the countries that are in power gain wealth. The same is true of a new product, for example. Something, something new is released, a new product comes out, right? And the old product loses sales. It loses all of the reputation that it has, and it, it bottoms out, and this new product becomes a new thing. It happens all the time. So that's what you would expect in this day of calamity that God is talking about here. He's saying a day is coming where something bad is going to happen. But he's saying neither the seller nor the buyer are going to profit. No one is going to profit here. Right? There's no wealth to be had. It says everything that's imminent, everything that is famous or respected, there's nothing going to be left of it. God is saying a complete and utter destruction and judgment is coming. Look at what God says happens in verse 15 with me. The sword is outside, and the plague and the famine are within. 
This is talking about a city. He who is within, who, sorry, he who is in the field will die by the sword. Famine and the plague will also consume those in the city. Even their survivor, even when their survivors escape, they will not be on the mountains like doves of the valley. All of them mourning, each over his own iniquity. God's saying there's going to be no safe place from this disaster. Those inside the city will be sheltered from the army outside, but they are going to be fighting against the famine and the plagues of inside the city. And those who are outside the walls might have access to food and water, but they're not going to be able to escape the armies. No one is going to be able to escape. And look at what happens next. When the people realize what's going to happen. Look at verse 17. All hands will hang limp, and their knees will become like water. They will gird themselves with sackcloth, and shuddering will overwhelm them. And shame will be on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They will fling their silver into the streets, and their gold will become an abhorrent thing. Their silver and their gold will not be able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their appetite, nor can they fill their stomachs, for their iniquity has become an occasion for stumbling. In situations where the world seems to be falling apart and things are turning sideways, wealth doesn't seem as important as it might have before. You know why? Because you can't eat silver. You can't eat gold. You can't eat money. It doesn't keep you alive. It actually doesn't have any value. God is showing us that wealth has no value when tragedy strikes, when judgment comes. The riches that we think are making us important, the riches that we think are giving us security, are just a facade. Because when those things fluctuate in value, so do we, if we depend on them. And it's just like that, that they can lose all their value. So we really are secure. We really aren't important if we base ourselves off those things, because they aren't intrinsically value. They don't hold value within themselves. And this is a lesson we may have heard before, but it hits a different way, I think, when we read it out of Ezekiel. They, the people who have stored up this wealth for themselves, their, their silver and the gold, they just throw it out onto the streets. They hate it because they thought it was important to them. They, they thought it was going to give them security. But in the end, it meant nothing. They hated it. They said, just throw it out onto the street. It did not deliver them. Let's take a look at what Jesus says on the topic in Luke chapter 12. If you would, go turn over there with me. This parable may be familiar to you. But it's important for us to look at again, especially holding in our minds what we just read out of Ezekiel. Luke chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verse 13. So Jesus is speaking and teaching. Someone in the crowd said to him, so someone replied to him, 
Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. True wealth is not found in this world. It's not found of this world. Right, Chuck? Wealth is our reliance and obedience to God. Reliance on and obedience to God. He is the ultimate provider. He is our caretaker. Ezekiel shows us, and Jesus tells us the same thing. Our possessions are not our value. And they are not our security. And these are the lessons that really stand out to me when I read both these passages. These are the things that really hit home, and they might hit home for you too. Number one, when judgment comes, our possessions will be worthless. We might not have a day coming like what we read in Ezekiel, right? It's not like an army might surround Rockford and siege us and cause a famine. Right? We might not have this, the literal thing happening in Ezekiel, but there is actually a judgment day coming. A day where we are going to be held accountable. A day when there is going to be no escape from the judgment. And in that day, our gold and our silver are going to be disgusting to us. They aren't going to do anything for us. They're going to be worthless. Because the world's possessions move and turn and fade as the world changes and fades away. The thing is, though, God doesn't fade away. God doesn't change. And it's our faith in him that is going to have value when it really matters. And not only that, but our faith in him in this age, now, is going to hold more value than anything this world can offer. Now, don't get me wrong. Wealth isn't a bad thing. Money and and resources aren't bad, but they aren't our security either. Which leads us into point number two. We need to use our worldly wealth for spiritual work. We should use our wealth to become rich with God. And how do you do that? Well, you do that through giving to the poor. You, You do that through pouring into ministries. You do that through building his kingdom, and supporting things that God cares about with your resources and your time. I heard a good quote. 
I said, we are meant to use possessions and love people. We are not meant to love possessions and use people. We are meant to use what we have, what God has given us to serve him, to love people, and to bring people into the kingdom. And the godly perspective that we acquire from the Bible teaches us this truth concerning wealth that it's not about our resources. Our value is not about the resources. Our resources are a way to do what God wants us to do. Think about it this way. If you want to make money, you go to work, right? You go to work, you work for someone, and then they cut you a check. So if you work worldly jobs for the treasures of this world, the same is true for spiritual jobs and spiritual wealth. To do spiritual jobs is to earn spiritual wealth with God. That's how you do that. And you do that by working for him. You do the things that God sees as valuable, the things that he commands us to do in his word. God could literally not care less about our gold or silver. He, he spoke it into existence. Every, everything that we think is valuable, he can make more of in a second. Right? He, he doesn't care about all... There is more gold on asteroids than there are on the entire Earth's crust. Like, diamond, we think diamonds are really pretty and valuable. There's literally an asteroid that we found that if we took one-tenth of all the diamond on the asteroid, it would just flood the earthly market and make diamonds like dirt. Like, what we think is valuable actually has no value. But what God really wants is our loyalty. He wants our lives. Because there is nothing more rare or valuable than that resource. Than the resource of your love and your affection. It's worth a lot more than any shiny rock could ever be. Number three. We need to protect ourselves from greed. And greed and the love of money leads to all kinds of bad things. It's the, the, the Bible says it's the root of all evil. And it can lead us to do Dark things that can lead us to dark actions and dark thinking. Jesus told us in Luke chapter 12 that we need to be on the lookout against all kinds of greed. In which this, what this really means to me is that there must be a variety of forms of greed. Right? It's not like there's one package in which greed comes in and we can say, oh yeah, that's definitely greed. Because I think you can covet 10 bucks, you can covet 100, you can covet $1,000. You can be greedy with anything. Greed isn't a mindset exclusive to the rich or powerful. It's for all of us, unfortunately. And we need to be on the lookout for that. And I understand that we need money to survive. I'm not saying it's bad to work. It's good to work hard. The Bible teaches us to have a good work ethic and to earn money and to use it wisely. But we need to make sure that it doesn't hold the wrong spot in our hearts. We shouldn't hoard our money It shouldn't be our value because God is our value. Honoring God follows us everywhere, from our actions to our thoughts to our time and to our bank accounts. He should be our main priority. And reading over Ezekiel 7 and Luke 12 this morning gave me a sense of urgency. We really never know how much time we have left, what day is going to be our last day. And we can think that we have a lifetime left to spend our money and use our time for what God wants us to do, but the final day is coming. 
And we don't really know when that is going to be. Judgment is coming. That's the, that's the truth of what Scripture says. And when Judgment Day comes, God's not going to be looking at our wealth. He's going to be looking at our hearts. He's going to be looking at where we placed Him. And I think there's actually some peace in that. Because we don't have to be a part of the rat race. We don't have to run around and try to store up and slave every day to, to earn every single penny we can muster. Because the simple fact is, it doesn't actually define us. It doesn't give us our value. And I think that simple fact gives us a tremendous freedom that the rest of the world doesn't get to have. We don't have to work hard to earn money to impress people. We don't have to build up wealth just for the sake of building up wealth and status. Because our value is in God. Remember, possessions are possessions, right? We own them. So let's not let our possessions own us. Let's put our possessions in the right place. Realize that we have them to work for God's kingdom. And that we need to use them to make a difference. And I know that we do that here at North Kent. And we're going to continue doing that. But I think this is just a good reminder for to continue that practice of generosity. To continue that practice of using what we have here to build God's kingdom. And I hope that only increases. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the blessings you give us. But I pray that you always have it on our minds and hearts that anything that we have comes from you. And that our love is your first priority. Allow us to use what we have to honor you, to serve you, to build your kingdom. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.